All right, good morning. Can I just start by saying it has been a crazy week this week? Has anybody else had a crazy week recently? Has anybody had a week recently that wasn't crazy? I mean, it feels like every week that's just the world that we live in. Wednesday night, late, I got a call from Pastor Doug, and he said, hey, I've got COVID. Can you preach for me? And I said, well, that's interesting because I'm texting another pastor right now who also got COVID, and he's asking the very same thing. And so I said, well, I can only be one place, and I got to be at my home church. This is my family. This is the people I love. And so I am glad to be with you guys this morning. Let me also encourage you, by the way, if this is your first time here, make sure you come back next week so you can hear Pastor Doug. Um, I love Pastor Doug. You know, there's no camera today, so I can say whatever I want, and he has no evidence of it. And, uh, but I just want to say I do love Pastor Doug, love you guys, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. So let me invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll look at verses 1 through 5. This week I I had some time, just a little bit of time, to think about what I was going to say, and I was in between a number of things and just just took some time to pray and ask God, what would he have me say to you today? And this passage just began to resonate through my mind. I was thinking about ministry, and I was thinking about all that's going on in this church, about how much this church has been growing over the last year about you know, getting new staff people. We're just about to purchase land next week, and we will be then looking at building a building. There's some really exciting things going on in ministry. And as I was thinking about this subject of ministry, I began to think about how complicated ministry really is today. I don't think we've ever lived in a day and age where ministry has ever been as technical, detailed, and sophisticated. I mean, think about the the changes in ministry. Think about ministry the way it used to be 100 years ago. It used to be, you know, that you just had a church and you had a pastor, and that was basically it, you know. But today, we've got all sorts of pastors. We've got youth pastors. We've got pastors for pastors. We've got administration pastors and college pastors, and you name it. And it's not just that. When we look at the other personnel in the church, now we've got, like, audiovisual, we've got musicians, we've got web and app developers, we've got social media personnel, I've seen church hiring graphic designers. There's been a lot of changes in the details in ministry. But not just the details, how about the presentation of the church? You know, it used to be you just had a church and there was just a sign outside and that was basically it. But now you've got like all sorts of uh, web, you know, you've got your websites and you've got apps for the church. You've got logos and bumper stickers. A lot of you are wearing t-shirts today that say Cross Life on our love God, love people. Uh, you know, we even have billboards. I drove past several billboards this morning advertising churches. This is all stuff that's new to this day and age. But it's not just personnel and presentation, it's also procedures. Used to be, you know, you would just get together as a church and that was it. But now we've got all sorts of committees, we've got teams. There are people right now who are watching kids in the nursery so that you guys can be here. Didn't used to have that. Shoot, we got security team. I didn't even know I needed security, but apparently I do, and I'm glad I have it. So I'm glad that there is somebody who's out there making sure that we can have a safe space for worship this morning and for the hearing of the Word of God. Let me just say that each of these things are good things, okay? There's nothing wrong with any of these things. But what I was thinking about while I was thinking about these subjects is that we tend to have a laser focus on what matters, you know, what, what's going on right now, but ultimately a very clouded focus on what really matters. See, we've fixed our eyes on the minor details 
And as a result, it can be easy for us to lose sight of what ultimately matters. As we get into the book of 2 Timothy, this is exactly what I think the Apostle Paul is saying to his protege, Timothy. Now, I want to set the stage for just a minute because we're jumping in at the end of the book. So I, I need to catch you up to speed on what's been going on through the book of 1 Timothy so that you understand what's going on in chapter 4, where we'll be this morning. The Apostle Paul has been writing this letter to Timothy, who is his you know, protege in the faith, and he's been sharing with Timothy you know, essentially what is essential in ministry. In the first three chapters, he's spoken about the gospel. He's spoken about you know, the, the need for faithfulness. He's talked to Timothy about the word of God and about keeping it pure. And he's also spoken to Timothy about the hardships that are going to come to Timothy, to the church, and to the world at large. And in chapter 4, what he does is he turns the corner and begins to share with Timothy in what would be his last words that we have in Scripture on earth. He begins to share with him what really matters when it comes to ministry. And, and what the Apostle Paul is essentially doing is he's essentially handing the ministry over to Timothy and saying, here's the mantle of ministry. You continue the work that I started. And while you do that, here's what I want you to know. Here's what is really essential for you to do in ministry. Now, the reason I say this is because I want to show you in this text what Paul has to say. But before I do that, I want to actually show you some things that the Apostle Paul does not say that we tend to think might be important today. If you were to look at this passage, the Apostle Paul says nothing to Timothy about how big his church should be. He says nothing to him about what style of worship he should have or about how many fellowships he should hold. There is nothing in this text about what his building and budget should look like or how many committees he should employ. In fact, if you were to go through this passage, you would not find one word about what color carpet he should have or how to best brand his church for success. What Paul has been doing through the first three chapters is he's been telling Timothy, okay, listen, Timothy, here's who you should be and why, and now what I want to show you is how you can establish a ministry that really matters. I don't think there's any better message we could hear in the new year rather than how you and I can have a ministry that matters. And so the title of this message is How to Have a Ministry That Matters. And what I want to do is I want to give you one main point before I get in this text, one main point that I want you to hold on to, okay? Because I'm going to come back to this. And if I were to sum up this text, this is the main point I would give you. In order to maintain a ministry that matters, we must maintain a message that matters. Let me say that one more time. In order to maintain a ministry that matters, we must maintain a message that matters. So let me invite you to stand with me, if you will, and honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then pray, and we'll get into the message. This is what Paul says to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, 
fulfill your ministry. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, and we ask you, God, that right now you would speak to us. God, that you would help us to see what you would have us do in ministry, that you would help us to see what we could do to be faithful to you, what we can do to advance your kingdom, what we can do to magnify you as we just sung. And God, we pray that you would receive all the glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you four key principles here that the Apostle Paul gives us in order to have a ministry that matters. These are four things that Paul is saying after. Remember, he's probably run the race better than anybody else. So he's setting an example, and these are the four things that he wants us to know about how to have an effective ministry. And the first one is this. We have a mandate to amplify. A mandate to amplify. Now notice what he says beginning in verse 1. He says, I charge you. Now, the word charge there is pointing to a forceful order or directive. And Paul is basically going to tell Timothy, listen, here's how important this charge really is. And he's going to give him two qualifications, two statements that show how important this charge is. Notice what he says. Here's the first one. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So what Paul points to here is the current presence of God. Now, that word presence is very interesting because it was actually used in legal summons in those day and age. So if you were to get a legal summon back then in ancient Rome, it would actually say at the bottom that you are to appear in the presence of so-and-so. And that statement meant that those people had the right to act as authority and judge over you. And so when Paul gives this charge to Timothy, he's saying, remember, this charge is coming from the current God who has the right and authority to act as a judge over you. But there's a second thing he says here. He says, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, this is interesting because this reflects the coming presence of God, right? So his appearing here points to the rapture, and the rapture is the event where Christ will take the church out of the world before seven years of tribulation where he's going to punish the world for its wickedness. And then his kingdom points to when he will come back to the world with his church and establish his rule and reign. And so what Paul is saying here to Timothy is saying, listen, this charge is important because God is here with you right now and God is coming for you again. And that's the God who is issuing this charge to you. Now, what's interesting is the charge he gives. And I, I love this. This is one of my favorite statements in all the Bible. Here it is. You ready for this? Preach the word. That's it. There were so many things the Apostle Paul could have said, and this is what he said. Preach the word. It's so simple, and yet it's so profound. Now, this word preach here is an imperative in the Greek. It's a command, essentially. And if you were to translate this, you might translate it this way. Start preaching and don't stop preaching until you can't do it anymore. Now, what's interesting in this passage is this is one of the few passages in Scripture where we are just inundated with commands. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the Greek is going to give nine commands in these five verses. That is a lot of commands. Okay? So he's, he's just inundating Timothy with all these commands. But this one command here is the one that sums them all up. This one command here is the one that's the most important. And he said, well, how do you know that? Well, here's how. The next four imperatives or commands are going to be clarifications of how you do this one. And the four after that 
are going to be clarifications of how you continue to do this one when things get difficult. But before I get into more details on this, I want to share with you a couple of things that Timothy is not hearing from Paul, that Paul does not share with Timothy. The first of these is this. Did you notice that Paul didn't say preach the gospel? He could have done that. He could have said, hey, Timothy, the most important thing is for you to preach the gospel. He's used that word gospel already in this book, but he didn't do that here. Instead, what he said is preach the word. And what this statement reflects is that Paul wanted Timothy communicating everything that God had said, not just a part of it, but everything, all of it. And this reminds us back to the Great Commission, right, where Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So if you were going to translate this, here's essentially what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, listen, don't stop preaching. Shout it loudly and proudly. And while you do that, make sure that you preach everything that is in God's word. Make sure you communicate everything to them that God has said to us. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there are a lot of people out there that think that they have a message to be loud and proud about. But can I share with you that we should be the loudest and the proudest? We have the word of God. The word of God that was given to humanity, God's divine message that he gave to us. We should be the loudest and the proudest about the message we have. So Paul says, listen, preach the word. He doesn't say preach the gospel, but there's another thing he says here, or he doesn't say, I should say. He says to preach the word, but he doesn't say to please the world. There's a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that are doing that today. And what they are trying to do is they are trying to take God's word and alter it to accommodate the world. I remember I was watching a convention last year, about the middle of last year, and they were making all these statements on, on biblical issues and on, on where they stood on biblical issues and things like that. And they kept you know, arguing over how this should be worded and what we should say. And I'm sitting here thinking, hey, guys, you know, God already gave it to us, okay? It's not that complicated. But here they are. They're arguing over all the specifics. And, and a number of people were saying, well, you know, I don't know that we should phrase it that way because the world might not accept it. The world might not like it. The world might not want this. They may look at this and think it's too insensitive or too unkind. And they kept using a phrase over and over. I kept hearing this phrase the first time I caught it, I was like, okay, it was just what it is. But then I heard it again and again and again and again and again. And they said this. They said, the world is watching. The world is watching. The world is watching. We got to get this right because the world is watching. You know, I thought about that. And that may be true. That may be true that the world is watching. But you know who else is watching? God is watching. Amen. And I'll tell you, if I have a choice between being right with the world and right with God and I can't do both, which is what Scripture says, then I would rather be wrong with the world and right with God. Paul says, preach the word. Jesus reminds us of this. He says, friendship with the world involves being an enemy with God. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the things of this world that we forget that this isn't our home. We're just passing through to our eternal home. So we have to preach the word, but we have to do it the right way, okay? It's not just about the right message. We also have to have the right methods. We have a word that we must amplify to the world, but we have to do it the right way. 
Reminds me back of a time when my daughter was six and my son was four. And some of you have kids that age right now, and some of you have had kids that age. And I can tell you, I don't know how the world functions when you have kids that age. I mean, you can't go anywhere. Like, it's impossible. You have to pack up your entire life into your vehicle just to go somewhere. And then you've got to schedule it around nap times and around feeding times and around all these other times. And it's just amazing that you can go anywhere. So on one such occasion, we were sitting there, and we, we, we just finished packing our entire house into our car. And we're getting ready to go. My wife's just running through the checklist on her, in her head, making sure we have everything. And my six-year-old daughter's in the back, Abigail, and she's, she says this. She says, Daddy, I've decided I want to share Jesus with everyone at school. Now, i got to admit, as a parent, I'm feeling pretty good in that moment. I'm thinking, hey, I must have done something right. Here, my little girl has wanted to tell all her friends about Jesus. But I put that aside for a minute, and I said, okay, sweetheart, what do you want to do? And she said, well, I want to show them that Jesus is the best. I said, okay, well, well, how are you going to do that? And she said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my tallest finger represent Jesus, and I'm going to have it stand up, and I'm going to have all the other fingers bow down to show them that Jesus is the best. So there I am, looking in the rearview mirror, seeing my six-year-old girl flip me the bird for Jesus. Listen, it's not just about the right message. We have to have the right methods. And the Apostle Paul is actually going to share with us what those methods are in the next verse. And so he tells us first, listen, you've got a mandate to amplify, okay? A mandate to amplify. Second, he says, you've got a message to verify. A message to verify. Now, what Paul's going to do here in verse 2 is he's going to give us three specifics that are essential in verifying this message. So three points I want you to write down, okay? Number one, we must be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready in season and out of season, he says. That's the second imperative. If you're, if you're tracking in your notes, that's the second one. Be ready in season and out of season. And what this shows is that the servant of God must have the proper ability and preparation to be ready to go at any time, to be able to preach the word of God, and to make sure also that the word of God is taught accurately. And this reminds us of what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, where he talks about not be ashamed, but accurately handling the word of truth. It also reminds us of what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, when he said to always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. So we've got to be prepared, Paul says. Second, we've got to be proactive. Now here he's going to give the third, fourth, and fifth imperatives or commands. So he says reprove, rebuke, and exhort. In other words, we have to be active in making sure that what is being taught is accurate, that it accurately communicates what God has said in his word. It's interesting that none of these are passive. See, we tend to think of these things as passive. We tend to think of it, okay, you know, when this happens, then I'll reprove. When this happens, then I'll rebuke. When this happens, then I'll exhort. But what Paul is telling us here is that we need to be actively doing these things. We need to be actively looking for how we can utilize these to uplift and to build the body of Christ. Now, the word reprove is going to speak to wrong beliefs, the word rebuke to wrong behavior, and the word exhort basically is talking about how to get in right beliefs and right behavior. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, listen, we got to get out the bad and put in the good if we're going to have a healthy church and a healthy ministry. So we've got to be prepared. We've got to be proactive. But third, we've got to be patient. We've got to be patient. What does he say next? He says, with complete 
patience, and instruction. Now that word patience there is interesting because it's the same word for patience that's used in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And if you were to flip over there, what you would find is actually a passage talking about God's patience that he is demonstrating to the world in order to withhold judgment from the world so that people can come to Christ. Now here's the thing. God's judgment, he's being patient in it, but there's going to be a time when that patience is going to run up. And in the same way, for you and I, we are to exercise patience with everyone with the communication of the Word of God, but there's going to be a time when that patience has its limit. And God gives us that limit in Matthew chapter 18 when he gives us the process of church discipline and the need for keeping the body of Christ pure. But here's one thing I want you to see. Did you notice that Paul here does not just say, hey, just be patient, just be patient? But what does he say? He accompanies it. He says, with complete patience and instruction. In other words, all of our patient efforts must be including the teaching of the Word of God. And you say, well, why? Well, he tells us in verse 3. Here is what he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That word sound is very interesting. In the Greek, it's actually the Greek word that became our English word, hygienic. And the idea here is that healthy doctrine helps prevent spiritual decay. So if we are proactive and prepared, as Paul tells us to, then we can prevent the degeneration of the body. And we do this by verifying that the message that we communicate, the message that we are hearing, is accurate to what the Word of God says. Now maybe you're here today and you say, okay, listen, I understand what you're saying. I get what you're saying. we got to make sure that what's being taught is accurate. But false teaching, that's way out there. That's not close by, okay? That's, that's just something that's way out there in the distance. It's not close by. Well, I'm going to tell you it's closer than you think, and it's getting closer every single day. Just this past week, I was watching a conference, and I noticed that a major evangelical teacher had this to say about Jesus. Now, this is a bit of a lengthy quote, but I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I want you to pay attention to the bold parts, okay? He said this, Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and see how did Jesus navigate, who am I, and why am I here? You say, Jesus didn't have to. He was God, not when he emptied himself of glory and took on humanity. He became the God-man. He dealt with everything you have dealt with and I have dealt with. He was tempted like we are tempted. He knew the highs and lows of life, and, catch this, he had to navigate, who am I, and why am I here? He continued, Before he, that is God, announced to Jesus his purpose, God speaks over him what his identity is. And God doesn't want anybody to be mistaken. As he's baptized, the heavens are open, the Holy Spirit descends, and a voice comes from heaven. Everybody, this is my son, whom I love, and in him and with him I am so happy. Why is God so happy? Jesus has not walked on water. He has not healed anybody. He has not turned water into wine. He has not fed 5,000. He has not cast out a demon, raised anybody from the dead, hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't done anything. Now notice what he says again. It's beautiful to see what God wanted him to know is that before you do one thing, I need you to know this thing. This is who you are. You are my son, and I am pleased with you. Let me just say to you, that is false teaching. Jesus always knew who he was and why he is here. He's God. He didn't, you know, give up divinity to take on humanity. 
He was God who took on humanity to be like us and to die for us. What we believe in Scripture is that God is triune. That means He's one God, three persons. He has always been that way. He will always be that way. And those three persons are in constant unity with each other. If for 30 years on this earth, Jesus didn't know who he was and why he was here, then that means for 30 years, the Trinity didn't exist because Jesus would have been out of unity with the Father and with the Spirit. Jesus didn't need to figure out who he was and why he was here He always knew because he was God, he is God, and he's God who's coming back for us. Now, perhaps you might say, okay, well, listen, I get what you're saying. That's wrong. But really, it's just a minor detail. Isn't what's important to us just the gospel? Isn't that really what's just important to us is just preaching the gospel? Well, first, I would say this. Paul didn't say preach the gospel, did he? He said preach the word. And second, what I would say to you is it doesn't matter If we share the gospel, if we don't share the right gospel, the details matter. God is a God who's infinitely complex, and his word should reflect that level of complexity. The details matter. Reminds me of a pastor that I heard about a long time ago who used to travel by horseback to different areas to preach. So he would go from one city to the next on a horse to to preach to that city and then go to another He decided he needed to get a new horse, and he wanted to train this horse to respond based upon commands. So what he decided he was going to teach this horse to do was to to go when he said, praise the Lord, and to stop when he said, amen. Over the course of several months, he did this, and finally he got it where he could say, praise the Lord, and the horse would go, and he could say, amen, and the horse would stop. Well, one day he decided he was going to take a break from ministry and just enjoy some time around the mountainous area that was near him and just spend some time communing with God. So he packed up his horse, got on, said, praise the Lord, and off the two of them went. Well, as about lunchtime, he came to a nice stream area that was at the foot of the mountain, and he said, this is a great place for me to stop and have lunch. So he said, amen. The horse stopped. He unpacked his food and a blanket from the horse, set out a picnic, and had a nice lunch. At the end of that, he decided that he wanted to continue through the mountains, so he packed the horse back up, got on, said, praise the Lord, and off the two of them went. Well, as he was going through the mountains, the path that he was on began to narrow, and as a result, the horse began to frantically pick up its pace. And the pastor noticed just off in the distance, he could see a cliff that they were rapidly approaching, and he panicked, and he shouted, whoa, but the horse didn't stop. The horse kept going. And finally, just inches before that cliff, that pastor shouted, Amen! And the horse stopped. Pastor breathed a sigh of relief, looked up into heaven and said, Praise the Lord. (laughs) Can I tell you, the details matter. The details can mean the difference between devotion and disaster. And Paul is going to tell us why these details matter in verse 4. Notice what he says there. He says, They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now that word myths isn't necessarily what you're thinking. It's not referring to the Greek myths that we all heard about in school. But rather what he's using this word to refer to is any false teaching that finds its way into the church. Any worldly teaching that creeps its way into the body of Christ. And in verse 5, he tells us how to combat this, right? He gives us two principles here, his sixth and seventh imperatives. He says in verse 5, As for you, 
always be sober-minded. That's the sixth. And the seventh is endure suffering. So his point here is this. If we're going to combat false teaching, then we have to be able to see clearly and we have to be able to stand firmly. It's going to be a battle, but it's a fight that is worth fighting. John MacArthur writes this. He says, There is no such thing as a faithful ministry that is not costly. A painless ministry is a shallow and fruitless ministry. And so Paul tells us, listen, you've got a mandate to amplify. You've got a message to verify. But third, you've got a mission to multiply. A mission to multiply. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, do the work of an evangelist. That's the eighth imperative. Now here's something interesting. Nowhere in Scripture do we find anything saying that Timothy was an evangelist. Nowhere do we find anything saying that Timothy had the gift of an evangelist. But regardless, he still had the responsibility, as do you and I, to do work that is similar to an evangelist. We all have a responsibility to take the word of God out there to a lost world. That's what Jesus said, right? He said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. That's what Jesus told us. We all have a responsibility to do this in any and every ministry that we find ourselves in. Any and every ministry. This is our primary purpose. And listen, I want to share with you something. If we don't do this as a church, it doesn't matter what great things we accomplish. It doesn't matter what endeavors we reach. If we don't do the one thing that Christ told us to do, we will fail to have an effective ministry. Multiplication by disciples is the method and the mission that Jesus gave us. And the reason he gave us it is this. If we're just adding by addition, then we're going to lose because we can't keep up with the population growth. It has to be done the way Jesus said, by multiplication of disciples, by making disciples who then go and make disciples. So he told us, listen, you have a mandate to amplify. You have a message to verify. You have a mission to multiply. But there's one more thing I want to share with you very quickly, and it's this. We have a ministry to satisfy. A ministry to satisfy. Look, I love what he says here. Look at what he says. Fulfill your ministry. Now, the idea here is not just of getting to the end, but rather of making it complete, of bringing into fruition all these things, of running in such a way that you don't just cross the finish line, but that you win the race. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy, and that's what he's saying to us today. Don't just run. Run in such a way that you will win the race. One thing he reminds us of here is that it doesn't matter how we started. What matters is how we finish. Reminds me of a story I read about in Case for Faith by Lee Strobel of a man named Charles Templeton. Many of you have probably never heard of Charles Templeton, Charles Templeton was an a journalist turned evangelist in the 1940s. The year was 1945, and he became friends with another not well-known evangelist by the name of Billy Graham. And he and Billy Graham shared in a number of ministry uh, opportunities together. In fact, Billy Graham described Templeton as one of the few men that he really loved in that day and age, and, and they really had successful ministry together. Templeton decided that he was going to start a church and planted a church within just months, that church was at 1,200 people. Now listen, 1,200 people today is a mega church, but 1,200 people in 1945, that's like a mega, mega church. 
Many people in that day and age said that Charles Templeton's gifts far outclassed Billy Graham's, and one day his ministry would easily surpass that of Billy Graham. But something happened. At about the same time, both he and Billy Graham began to face a number of challenges that they couldn't answer, a number of questions, difficult questions and philosophical questions about things in the, in the scriptures that they couldn't answer. And so both of them, about the same time, decided to take some time apart to, to just study the Word of God, to pray, and to decide what to do next. Billy Graham, for his part, poured himself into the Word, and he began to find answers to those questions, one after another. And he wasn't able to get all the answers that he wanted, but he said, you know what, I have more than enough to go off of, and I'm just going to let God answer the rest of those as I go. Charles Templeton, on the other hand, bowed out. He quit the ministry. Not only did he quit the ministry, he left the faith. Years later, he wrote a book titled this, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Just before the end of his life, Lee Strobel was able to interview Charles Templeton. And he asked him, what, you know, what was it like in that day and age doing ministry? What was it like in that day and age working with Billy Graham? What was it like in that day and age preaching about Jesus? And when he mentioned Jesus... Templeton's eyes begin to tear up. And Lee Strobel asked him, well, I don't understand. What, what did I say? You know, what's causing you to cry? And Templeton said this. He said, I just really miss Jesus. Two men. One had a ministry that matters. The other didn't. What was the difference? Why? Why did one have a ministry that matters and the other didn't? Here's the reason why. Because one had a message that mattered and the other didn't. I said this before at the very beginning. I said, in order to maintain a ministry that matters, we must maintain a message that matters. Listen, if this book doesn't matter, then nothing we do matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul said it this way. He said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. Let me just close by saying this. If we lose this, if we don't see this as supreme, if we don't see this as sufficient, if we don't see this as absolutely essential to, the, to our lives and to the world, then our ministries will not be successful. But if we keep it, if we love this word, if we pour ourselves into it, if we strive day after day to know Jesus and to follow him and obey him and to share this with everybody we meet, then listen, I'm going to tell you one thing. Our ministries they won't be stopped. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute. I just want to give you some next steps really briefly. Maybe you're here today and, and the next step that you need to take is that you just you haven't been proclaiming the message the way you should. You haven't been preaching the word. Maybe today what, what God's saying to you today is just get out there share the word of God with those you, you know, with those who are around you. Others of you here today, maybe, maybe the challenge is that you've let some of the world's influence and teachings creep in and begin to, to choke out what God wants to do in you and through you. And maybe today the, 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 the challenge is just to do a little bit of house cleaning, to take a little bit of spiritual inventory and say, is Christ my priority or is it the world? 
Is, is my following Christ being choked out by what's going on in the world? Others of you here, maybe you have a ministry, but you haven't really focused on discipling people in that ministry. You haven't focused on doing what Jesus said was the most important thing. And so maybe today it's just that in your ministry or even in your life, you're just looking for people around you who you can disciple and help them follow Christ. Maybe you're here today and, and the challenge is for you that you're running the race, but you kind of just let up a little bit. You kind of gave up a little bit. You, you're not running as fast as you once were. So maybe the, the challenge for you today is to pick up the pace, to, to run in such a way to win. Maybe you're here today and you've heard me speak a lot about ministry and about you know, the need to have an effective ministry, but maybe you're saying, you know what? I don't have a ministry to begin with because I don't even know who Jesus is. And today, the challenge for you is to come to know who Jesus is, to come to know what he has done by dying on the cross to save you from your sins so that the things that you have done can be cleansed, can be washed away, so that you can have forgiveness and eternal life in him. We're going to have some people at either side of the room, Jason and Kelly and Pat and Willie. And listen, if you need to pray, they're here to pray with you. If you need to know more about Jesus and what he has done on your behalf, they're here for you. And so I'm just going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. The band's going to sing. I'm going to pray and close this out. The band's going to sing. But please don't miss this opportunity. Please make sure you speak to someone today. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have had to study your word. We thank you, God, that you love us, that you died for us, that you gave everything for us. We thank you that you've given us a part that we can play in the work that you're doing in this world. And you've just asked us to be faithful. And you've told us that if we'll just be faithful, that you'll do the rest. And you'll carry us and you'll strengthen us and you'll empower us to do the work that you've given us. God, just help us as we go through this week to be faithful to you in the little things and we'll allow you to do the great things. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.